Hi everyone, I'm Gary Nall. Nice to have you with us today. We have a lot to share, and we begin with a Institute of Traditional Chinese Medicine study. And it's new in America, but it's not new worldwide. They found that there's a compound that shows promise for treating osteoporosis. The authors of the study found the compound in what is known as female ginseng. Well, you may also have heard of it as dong kwai, D-O-N-G-Q-U-A-I, uh, or dang kwai. It's common all over the world. In fact, it's probably the most commonly used herb in the world. The compound, which the researchers have since synthesized in their lab, inhibited the in vitro generation of osteoblasts that promote the bone loss, suggesting a new pathway towards treatment of the condition. And that's really good. So Dong Kwai is, well, it's good for menopause. In fact, in a study of 500 women, all in menopause or postmenopause, over one year, we met every week, and they had all of their blood workups done and measurements, and they had all forms of different conditions, but osteoporosis was one of the most common. And Dong Kwai was one of the herbs that they used. And at the end of the study, we had remarkable improvements. It was the largest study done with complementary and alternative approaches, meaning nothing drugged, no, no estrogen, no progesterone, none of that, and uh, no progestin. Also, these are also frequently used for osteoporosis. However, I don't. And uh, in fact, that treatment increases the risk of blood clots endometrial cancer, breast cancer, possibly heart disease. So something that is natural, non-toxic, is much better, especially as it can impact osteoclasts. That's O-S-T-E-O-C-L-A-S-T-S. And it's used by hundreds of millions of women all over the world, just not in the United States, because we're almost always for the drug that is promoted on television instead of something that has been used for thousands of years. So just saying. In fact, that study was so positive in its outcome that Dr. Martin Feldman, the medical supervisor, the, the protocol, and uh, myself were invited to Washington, D.C. to present our findings before about 5,000 scientists and uh, on, this, on the outcome. We reversed, we reversed menopause in eight women. And the oldest had been post-menopause for eight years. And now she was, all of them were pre-menopause. Their hair, what was remarkable, I mean, this is just really stunning. Uh, we had them take photographs of their hair without any dye or coloring in it uh, so we could see what, how much was actually gray. And uh, pictures of their face close up with no makeup. And people began to grow their natural color hair when they had been gray for decades back and, and the hair thickened, especially the eyebrows, because when you get into perimenopause and menopause, you frequently lose much of your eyebrow and your skin becomes very creepy around the neck and arms and all that reversed. And uh, hot flashes, night sweats, uh, depression, mood swings, gaining weight without eating, overeating, all that reversed. Thyroid behavior normalized. So, we do have 
natural and alternative approaches to almost every condition. Now another study, this is from China Medical University in Taiwan, the omega-3 fatty acids showed really good results for people with depression, especially if you were an older person and depressed. Now they looked at a lot of studies. It's called a meta-analysis where you look at many different studies and then you find what do, what do these studies have in common? What do they tell us? And this study aimed to evaluate the efficacy of the omega-3 fatty acids intervening to improve depression in patients with dementia. And uh, they had a control group and a non-control group, and they found that the DHA and the EPA taken for six months, uh, three months, six months, a year, and 24 months. And the cognitive function, ranging from mild cognitive impairment to severe dementia. And depending upon if you took a low dose, a medium dose, or a high dose, it was directly correlated to improvement. Low dose, low improvement, high dose, big improvement in dementia and depression. Make sure you're getting your DHA and EPA every day. And uh, so... That's what these nine studies showed. So we can do a lot. Now also a recent uh, study, and this one is from Yale University. High intensity exercise can reverse neurodegeneration in Parkinson's. There is a film that I haven't shown yet. We've been working on it for over a year. We've gone through my library down here in Florida. I have a huge um, film library where all my films are that I've filmed and all the outtakes. And we're putting together all the testimonials before and after so you can see and hear a person in their own words, un, un, unrehearsed, non-coached, and then afterwards. And when you see how remarkable these changes are, and this goes back 45 years, well, we reversed a lot. And one of the guys in there had full-blown uh, Parkinson's and uh, was going through what the medical community said was you know, the drugs that might slow it down. Nothing could reverse it. We came to me over on 83rd Street where we were for 28 years in my office. And I said, how much are you willing to commit yourself to change? And he said, Gary, at this point, whatever I have to do, I'll do. And now, why do I ask that? Because a lot of people want the benefits of change. They just don't want to change. They don't want to give stuff up. In fact, some people with a terminal illness where they have no option, I mean, it's death, you know, whether it's death in a hospice care at home or death in a hospice care in a hospital, it's the end. And yet, after I give them the protocol and go over it for two or three hours, they say, I... No, I don't want to change. And I'm thinking, but if you don't change, there's no hope. Even with it, there may not be hope. And they don't care. Wow. Only when you're in my shoes sitting across from someone where it's either the chance of living or the absolute of death. That's how addicted people are to their comforts and patterns of behavior. In any case, um, in this case, the person changed everything. One year later, he ran the New York City Marathon and did great. 
and he's still alive and well today, 40 years later. All right? Well, in any case, this shows that high-intensity exercise induces brain-protective effects that have the potential to not just slow down, but possibly reverse the neurodegeneration associated with Parkinson's disease. And uh, prior research has shown that many forms of exercise are linked to improved symptoms of Parkinson's, but there's been no evidence that hitting the gym could create changes at the brain level. Now, this small proof-of-concept study involving 10 patients showed that high-intensity aerobic exercise preserved dopamine-producing neurons. By the way, those are the brain cells that are most vulnerable to destruction in patients with disease. And that's one of the reasons that people who have this disease frequently go into a deep, dark moods because dopamine is the feel-good you know, feel factor in the brain. And in fact, after six months of exercise, the neurons actually had grown healthier and produced stronger dopamine signals. How about that? This was done over at Yale. So remember, when someone says, well, sorry, but there's no hope. Go home and put your life in order. Okay. Well, they're right. They're absolutely 100% right. There's no hope they can give you. But there is hope elsewhere. Don't be afraid to look outside of your existing condition paradigm. And finally, from Finders University in Australia, eating a healthy plant-based diet can make sleep apnea less likely. Obstructive sleep apnea, or OSA, occurs at a time least likely to be detected by a person who has it while they're sleeping. Nonetheless, it's a serious condition. A new study investigates the effects of a plant-based diet on the likelihood of developing OSA. And uh, the study found that people who adhered mostly to a healthy plant-based diet lower the risk of OSA by 19%. And people who were pro-vegetarian, largely vegetarian, also saw a significant reduction in the risk. So that's important. The culprits in an unhealthy diet are the usual suspects that have been linked to a range of health issues. Refined grains, high sugar intake, lots of salt, as well as heavily processed foods. All of those are toxic. And that's the latest on health and healing. We're going to take a break and come right back at you. And before we do that, let me mention that we have people all day long calling our office. And I have a small, small staff. And most of the people working with me have been working with me for about 35 years. And so they're very capable of answering a lot of different questions. But a lot of the calls deal with things that we already have information on. And one of the things I'm doing is that including in my newsletter uh, information on different topics that could really give you an education. And uh, so that's why you can get a free newsletter, don't have to pay a penny, once a week. But then every day for a small contribution, you get a lot of data. I mean, a lot. In fact, my new book, which is now finished, it's being edited, and uh, we put 
thousands and thousands of hours into this project. I'll announce it in the near future. And I'm going to be putting chapters up, uh, most important chapters, up on the, the newsletter that people get it on a daily basis. Just go to GaryAndAll.com and you'll see where it's at. All right, so we're going to take a break and come right back. Please stay with us. And welcome back, everyone. I'm sure that everyone in this audience saw a video or photographs or heard about a person that really made the ultimate sacrifice. His name is Aaron Bushnell. And we should take a moment and think about this. Do you remember those of us who were old enough to be protesting the Vietnam War and we started to see the Buddhist monks setting themselves on fire outside of the American embassy in Saigon. And you were thinking, wow, uh, how did they do that? Why would they do that? And that became an inspiration. If someone's willing to end their life, to bring attention to something, maybe it's worth paying attention to. So before we go to any clips, I want to acknowledge Chris Hedges. Chris is, Chris is one of the few oracles we still have in our society who has never been compromised, tells the truth, whether we want to hear it or not. And here's what he has to report. Aaron Bushnell's divine violence. Aaron Bushnell's self-emulation was ultimately a religious act, one that radically delineates good and evil and calls us to resist. Aaron Bushnell, when he placed his cell phone on the ground to set up a live stream and lit himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C., resulting in his death, pitted divine violence against radical evil. As an active duty member of the U.S. Air Force, he was part of the vast machinery that sustains the ongoing genocide in Gaza. No less morally culpable than the German soldiers, technocrats, engineers, scientists, and bureaucrats who oiled the apparatus of the Nazi Holocaust. This was a role he could no longer accept. He died for our sins. Quote, I will no longer be complicit in genocide, he said calmly in his video as he walked to the gate of the embassy. Quote, I'm about to engage in an extreme act of protest, but compared to what people have been experiencing in Palestine at the hands of their colonizers, it's not extreme at all. This is what our ruling class has decided will be normal. End quote. Young men and women sign up for the military for many reasons, but starving, bombing, and killing women and children is usually not amongst them. Shouldn't it, in a just world, the United States fleet break the Israeli blockade of Gaza to provide food, shelter, and medicine? Shouldn't U.S. warplanes impose a no-fly zone over Gaza to halt the saturation bombing? Shouldn't Israel be issued an ultimatum to withdraw its forces from Gaza? Shouldn't the weapon and weapons shipments, billions of military aid and intelligence provided to Israel, be halted? Shouldn't those who commit genocide 
as well as those who support genocide be held accountable. These simple questions are the ones Bushnell's death forces us to confront. Quote, Many of us like to be ourselves. He posted shortly before his suicide, quote, What would I do if I was alive during slavery, or the Jim Crow South, or apartheid? What would I do if my country was committing genocide? The answer is, you're doing it right now. The coalition forces intervened in northern Iraq in 1991 to protect the Kurds following the Gulf, first Gulf War. The suffering of the Kurds was extensive, but dwarfed by the genocide in Gaza. A no-fly zone for the Iraqi Air Force was imposed. The Iraqi military was pushed out of the northern Kurdish areas. Humanitarian aid saved Kurds from starvation, infectious diseases, and death from exposure. But that was another time, another war. Genocide is evil when it is carried out by our enemies. It is defended and sustained when carried out by our allies. Walter Benjamin, whose friend Fritz Heinel and Rita Silgesen committed suicide in 1914 to protest German militarization in the First World War, in his essay, Critique of Violence, examines acts of violence undertaken by individuals who confront radical evil. Any act that defies radical evil breaks the laws and the name of justice. It affirms the sovereignty and dignity of the individual. It condemns the coercive violence of the state. It installs a willingness to die. Benjamin called those extreme acts of resistance divine violence. Only for the sake of the hopeless ones have we been given hope. Bushnell's self-emulation was one of the most social media Important posts, news organizations have heavily censored it. And that is the point. It is meant to be seen. Bush now extinguishes life in the same way thousands of Palestinians, including children, have been extinguished. We could watch him burn to death. This is what it looks like. This is what happens to Palestinians because of us. And it goes on from there but at least I've given in the most important essence of it. So yesterday there was a report from an international human rights organization showing that over 568,000 Palestinians cornered, no resources at all, no water, no electricity, no tents, they're out in the cold, and they're starving to death. And what would be one of the largest at least from since 1945, one of the largest deaths groups in a month, we can have all those people dead. Certainly the children, babies will be dead. And yet, where's CNN? Where's Rachel Maddow? Where's Howard Stern? Where are all these people who pride themselves in being the influencers of modern ideology? We're the woke generation where all the people are supposed to have a conscious. We have a lot of people with conscious. Hey, I can remember sometimes there'd be three or four or five of us. That's it. Protesting DDT. I did over 100 programs between 1967 
1972 on DDT. I traveled the country. I gave lectures on DDT. People didn't even know a thing about it, including the most educated class. Nothing about it. Well, if it were bad, the government would ban it. Yeah? Would you also include cigarette smoke and secondhand smoke? Aldrin, Hepsichlor? Would you include all those excess mammographies? Living beside a toxic dump site like Love Canal? Living downwind from a nuclear power plant that leaks radiation constantly? How about the fluoridation of our water? How about all the toxins in our water? How about the 5,000 communities in the United States that have water as dirty and as polluted and dangerous as the Flint, Michigan water? How about what was denied for a century? The toxic chemicals sprayed on our produce, including Roundup. Hmm. I did a documentary on that. And I was banned, banned, censored, from sharing that information on certain stations. But there was one I didn't get banned, and that was Rocky Mountain Television because of an extraordinarily courageous Sherry Burnson. And she told me when I was out there, I did 32 separate specials with her, and uh, she said, this is going to cost me my job, Gary. I said, okay, probably will. But think of the people who will be educated about glyphosate that is sprayed on crops, wafts throughout the air, lands on organic farms, and then Monsanto comes in and sues the organic farmer for having their patented crops on their land. They did that, yes. And so no one in the media, no one, not a single media would go against Monsanto. Mm. Even the so-called best and brightest, who are spiritually imbecilic, medical doctors and scientists, professors, and policymakers. Wow, all that education into such a vacuous conscious mind. Totally porous, as long as there's politics, profit, or something gained, or fear that inhibits action. How many of you remember when I was on PFW in Washington for 36 years, and I asked you to join me in front of the South African embassy to protest, and I said, be prepared, we'll probably be arrested. And someone said, well, I'm not going to do it. I don't want to get arrested. I said, okay, fair enough. Nobody wants to get arrested. But what if our protest draws some attention to the higher ethical issue that there are millions upon tens of millions of people living in South Africa that live under the most repressive conditions, apartheid, going clear back to Cecil Rhodes and the Afrikaners before then and the Dutch before then, etc. And I said, would it be worth it then? And so handfuls of people would show up. You know you're in trouble when you're told who you cannot criticize. You know you're really in trouble when you're not allowed to ask an honest question of a dishonest person, mainly the politicians and policymakers and corporate interest. That said, I decided to pull the program together, together today by showing you people who are held accountable even when they're in front of a camera and they can lie about anything, get away with it. But what if they're under oath before a congressional hearing? Have you ever seen these videos? 
Probably not. Do you care about what you're saying? Do you care when people are held accountable? Now, I interview in a different way, so I wouldn't be as assertive or aggressive. I believe that you can still be congenial, you can be cordial, and still ask devastating questions. So here are some examples. By the way, I'm going to focus a little more time on Syria today and Donald Trump, because he is not to what many people think, he is, he is a useful idiot to many. But he said something that in retrospect they didn't want him. He said a truth that nobody, the CIA, the State Department, nobody wanted him to say this. I'll come to that in a moment. You haven't heard this before. But I want to begin with watch a Biden official in panic after accidentally admitting under oath in a committee hearing to what's really going on with illegal immigrant policy. As you know, if you've listened to this program that I support and always have, legitimate, legal immigration, but first on a, on a spiritual level, a preparing a place in society for those who are coming, who may be coming from terrible conditions, of which we also were the cause Look at Central and South America. Look at the death squads, the white hand death squads. I was down there. I went down. I went to see this for myself. I went to Brazil. You know, I went out with this surgeon at night who was showing me the death squads. Yeah. Fortunately, they didn't see us. We supported all that. Henry Kissinger, our State Department, President, Defense Department. We supported all this tyranny. Mm. So, what happens when you let people into the country for purely political, ideological reasons. But in the process, you don't vet them. As a result, the legitimate people who deserve to come in and be given the proper in hand, not just given a debit card with $10,000, because you know what's going to happen then. A lot of people are going to get that money, including career criminals, gangs. Uh, A lot of people end up having to give that back to the cartels because the cartels takes very careful, far more than we do, very careful measure of who's coming in because you have to pay the cartels to get in, and then you owe them. But what about preparing them properly? So when they enter, they enter with an advantage, an advantage to assimilate. How many people don't want to assimilate? How many people don't like us but are willing to exploit it? But there's one group of people who have been used in a terrible way, and that is the children. Did you know, for example, that there are over 85,000 of the migrant children who have disappeared once into the government's official policy group that finds them homes? Now we find out the truth. And the truth is always the backstory. The people who took these children were not vetted. We knew nothing about them. One guy took over 80 children. Shouldn't that have been a red flag? Hey, how can one person take care of 80? What, what's his income? Where does he live? Did you visit the place? No. You'll hear this. No, we never visit him. Did you follow up? No, it's not required. So you just give, give a child or children to people who say, I'm a relative? Yeah. Now they can't be found. Or you could find them if you're into this you know, child, you know, pedophile sex racket. Oh, yeah. Or if you're going into one of these uh, 
places where they work without pay. Yeah. Listen to this, because this is not something you're going to see anywhere on the mainstream media. Let's go to the clip. Thank you, Senator Welch. Senator Blackburn. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you for being here. This is really pretty remarkable testimony coming from you all, listening to what you've had to say. Basically, we've got a broken system. You don't know how to fix it. Money's not going to solve this problem, Ms. Nanda. Uh, you don't know the numbers. You don't know the law to enforce the law. So what comes across is that we've got a homeland security team here that doesn't believe in securing the homeland <clears throat> because you don't care enough to go deep enough into the issue to be able to define the problem and be able to fix it. Now, Ms. Marcos, I'm going to come to you because I've written Secretary Becerra twice about these children that they just can't find. Now, first letter, he got uh, Acting Assistant Secretary Jeff Hill to send a non-response to my office, and then I sent another letter and I haven't heard anything from him. I have asked that he come to the committee and talk to us about what has happened with these 85,000 children, where they are, and why efforts are not being made to find them and to be certain that they are being cared for. But there's no response to that because there again, you all believe in open borders. Your goal is not to secure the country and the border. Your goal is to just let everybody come on in and to hell with this trying to find 85,000 kids. You didn't vet the sponsors right. You did not do an FBI background check. Imagine that. You loosen what is required of people, and then you want to come here and say we need more money. So we can do our job. All right, um, Ms. Director Marcos, Linda Brandmiller, do you know that name? And I'm keep aware. your mic on. I'm aware of that name. You're aware of that name. And Jalen Solong, you know that name? Yes. Okay. And you know that both of these women were whistleblowers. And both of these women were fired for being a whistleblower. Are you aware of that? Senator, um, I... Quickly, my time's running out. Fast, go. I'm not aware of the specifics. You're not aware of the specifics. Do you know who approved their, this retaliation against the whistleblowers? You do not know. Senator, I cannot speak to the specifics. You can't of... speak to the specifics. Okay, was the secretary notified about the urgent situation developing in the department and that these children were being released to potentially exploitative sponsors? Did anybody pay attention to that? Or did you care? Was it nine to five, draw a paycheck, go on? We don't care. We're not concerned about an open border. We're not concerned about protecting children. What is your job? You're the Office of Refugee Resettlement. 
and you're not going to follow up on where these children are and who has custody of these children, why did you accept the responsibility to be in charge if you're not going to do your job and protect these children? You don't have an answer to that. You don't know why you accepted the responsibility. Senator, I would be happy this is why to we need the secretary this, but you're to come. not giving me an opportunity. Oh no, I gave you the tell me. Why did you okay. take the job? I took the job because I'm a humanitarian. I've spent my life. You're in this a work. humanitarian who can't find eighty five thousand children and don't give a ripping flip about where they are or what is going on in their precious lives. Is that what you're that telling me? is a mischaracterization of everything that we do. I have tried to explain, but I am not given the opportunity. Take the time, 25 seconds. Thank you. you. I appreciate that. When a child is released from our care, there are a number of ways that they can continue to receive services. We attempt the safety and well-being call for every child who's been released. There is no obligation for a child or a sponsor to answer the call, and there's reasons why they may not want to answer a call from the government. Oh, for heaven's sakes, they're being paid to take these children, and there's no reason for them to answer the phone? They're not being paid to take these children. Uh, May I finish, please? Yeah, they are. Go ahead. They also, um, post-release services, over 50% of our children, we we are working hard to get post-release services for all children. Um, We are over 50% right now. That is another way to have a trusted adult in these these children's lives. Legal services is another um, way, and we are expanding. We are providing more legal okay. services My than ever. My time has expired, and uh, okay. your you. answers are incomplete. I've got two more questions I will submit for the record. Mr. Morant, I have one for you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Senator Blackburn. Thank you, Senator Grassley, Senator Hawley. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Ms. Marcos, can I just start with you? You testified a moment ago to Senator Butler that every child gets a Know Your Rights presentation. Is that correct? That is correct. Is that before or after you release them to labor traffickers? Senator, every child that comes into our care gets a Know Your Rights presentation as well as... Have you read these New York Times reports? These stories, the the series of stories the New York Times has done on the children who are in your care, have you read them? Yes, I have. Have you read that children are scrubbing dishes, they are operating heavy machinery, they are delivering meals, they are harvesting coffee, they are working construction, they are working as housekeepers, they are working overnight shifts at plants where they are not paid, they are not going to school, they are not cared for, they are not giving meals, almost all of it illegally. Are you aware of that? That's a yes or no? Yes. Do the Know Your Rights presentation help them in those situations? Senator ORR. Uh, That's a yes or no, I think. I, Do you really think that you're helping these children by releasing them to labor traffickers and, yes, sex traffickers, 85,000 children whom you have no contact with, and your answer is we gave them a presentation before we turned them over to these people who are exploiting them on a scale not seen in this country for a hundred years, a century, a century. It's a disgrace in the United States of America. Let me ask you this. You did a, an audit, I noticed, where you gave yourself a clean bill of health. So just, just tell me this. 
do you require sponsors to document their relationship with the child? Senator, we have a thorough vetting process. Do you require sponsors to document their relationship with the child? Yes, we go through. No, a you do not. You, you do not. Have you read the Senate's permanent subcommittee on investigations reports on your office? There was one in 2016. There was one in 2018. There was one in 2020. There was one in 2022. Spanning administrations, what they found is you do not require sponsors to document their relationship with the child. You release them anyway. What about background checks? Do you require background checks on all adults in the household? In cases where the child is being released to their parents, we do not require um, background checks. But Senator, I would do, do you really require like background that. checks on all adults in the household in any case? Yes, in some cases we do. At what percentage of cases do you do background checks on the adults in the household? I, I don't have that number. Yeah. Do you do home visits in all cases? You can actually see where these children are, are being released, who you, whose care you're putting them in? We do not do home visits in all cases. Senator, I'd really like the opportunity to talk about what we are doing. To you, I know what you're doing, and it's, it's incredibly and totally inadequate. And we can read about it in the New York Times. Let me, since you say you've read it, let's talk a little bit about that New York Times report, if we could. Here's a quote from the April 17th installment. Again and again, veteran government staffers and outside contractors told HHS, including reports that reached the secretary, that children appeared to be at risk. Did you warn the secretary that children were at risk? Senator, I'm in regular contact with the secretary. And Did you warn him that children were at risk? Safety and well-being of children is our top priority. Did you warn him that children were at risk? I'm not going to get into the conversations I've had. You're here and you're under oath, and this is an oversight hearing. And we need to know what you're doing, because you're manifestly not doing your job. Did you warn him Senator, that children were at risk? Do you believe that children are at risk? Let's start with that. Yes. Okay. Did you warn the secretary? Senator, I'm not going to get into the specifics of my conversation, but I would like the opportunity Why to Why wouldn't talk you about, warn the secretary that children were at I risk? I would like the opportunity to talk about what we Let's are look at doing. what the secretary said to you. The other one, James. Yeah, that one. At least five HHS staff members said they were pushed out after raising concerns about child safety. Mr. Becerra, the secretary, told the ORR director, that's you, right? that if she could not increase the number of discharges, he would find someone who could. And then he went on to say that if Henry Ford had run his plants like this, he would never have become famous and rich. This is not the way you do an assembly line. Get the kids out, run them through, get them out to those sponsors, those traffickers. Why didn't you resign when he said this? Do you think that this is morally acceptable? Senator... I joined ORR in September of 2022. I believe that was reported prior to my arrival, but I cannot but speak This is from to, an article this year. I can't speak to what the secretary. Do you think that this is said. acceptable to run, to, to run ORR like an assembly line and to release these children I to traffickers? I you we do not run ORR like an assembly line. The safety and well-being of children is our top concern. And by plainly statute, not, plainly it is not your top concern because you have managed to lose 85,000 of them. And the Times knows where they are, or two-thirds of them, and they're with labor traffickers. It's unbelievable. Let me just ask you this. 
How many kids right now, the 430,000 approximately, unaccompanied children have crossed the border under this administration? It's an astounding number. How many are you in regular contact with right now? Senator, we have a number of different providers across the country. Who but what's the number? What's the number? How many of you are you in? You said child welfare is your top concern. What's the number? I don't have the specific number. How can you not know? Because Why would you come to this hearing and not know? Um, respectfully, if you would like us to provide comprehensive case management to children after their release. That's just one legislator, actually two legislators, who care more about the welfare of children, 85,000 are missing, that were in their care. Think of how many more are into slavery, but no one's vetting them. Anybody, gangs, and now we're seeing gang violence all across the United States. Did you see the video yesterday of a fella who was driving and suddenly they started uh, beating on his car and trying to kill him? So he ran out of there, ran into a convenience store. These are all migrants, by the way. And uh, hundreds set upon him, beating him, trying to kill him. But then they decided, hey, let's just go ahead and rob the store. And they cleaned out the whole store. I didn't see a word in the mainstream media about that. So anything that is done to benefit a particular political ideology is okay. Wow. It's shameful. Oh, and by the way, this just in, quote from the Wall Street Journal, over 100 Palestinians, we're talking about not Hamas, these are just Palestinians who went to a food truck, an aid truck, were killed by Israeli forces. Quote, Israeli forces fire on crowds surrounding Gaza's aid truck. So starving individuals, men, women, and children, went to get some water, went to get some food, and they were killed, a hundred of them. That doesn't seem to be important to anyone. Hmm, okay. Play your games, people. Play your games. And that's just one. Oh, and by the way, this just came in just now. Uh, this is from the BBC. Quote, Gaza's death toll exceeds 30,000. All right? And that's an official announcement, but the unofficial amount is closer to 100,000 dead. And now we've got almost 600,000 are going to be dying from starvation and infection, and they have no place to go, no food, no water, nothing. And somehow that's not important. But watching Taylor Swift at a football game, that's important. Get your priorities straight, Gary. Well, what have we become? Let's go to another clip, because I've got hundreds of these. Just to remind people, especially the self-righteous, always indignant, always negative, always toxic ones who believe that there is no truth but their own truth. They don't want to hear about these truths or the suffering. This is Donald Trump. Listen carefully what he says. Let's go to the clip. It's only 52 seconds. Jimmy Dores presented this. I'm gonna thank Jimmy Dore for that. So here's, this is one of my favorite videos. Uh, Donald Trump sometimes uh, acts, it's, it's not because, this, the, the intelligence community hates Donald Trump, not because he's not willing to go along with them. 
they hate them because he accidentally tells the truth and then <laughs> up their plans, right? And they don't know how to control this, right? Because he's willing to lie, he just doesn't know the lies, right? right? <laughs> like, for instance, here he is, he's, they're, they're talking about Syria. Then they say he left troops in Syria. You know what I did? I left troops to take the oil. I took the oil. Get that, you left. Ixnay on the oil, eh? No, 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 no. That's the inside conversation. Okay. Why is this important? For those of you who remember back five or six years ago, Israel, excuse me, Israel was attacking Syria. The United States was attacking and had been, this started under Obama, calling Assad a terrorist, supporter of terrorism. And this was at a time when ISIS, that we supported, and then al-Nusra, uh, that we also supported. And that's one of the reasons that everyone who came before the committee uh, were never asked the right question about Benghazi. What actually happened in Benghazi? What happened? Well, why did Ambassador Stevens die? They lied. The truth is that the United States, under a secret program, were taking all of Qaddafi's arms and shipping them through the annex into northern uh, Syria and into Turkey. Then they were being taken across the, uh, the area and terrorists had them. So it wouldn't look very good if they had to acknowledge the United States was breaking international laws by funding and training terrorists in a joint effort to get rid of Assad. What do you know about Assad? Oh, he gassed his own people. No, that has all been debunked. There are at least six different major investigations, including the leading one by Seymour Hersh, that showed that it was the United States and Great Britain and Israel that were involved in putting off um, bombs, including chemical weapons, but it wasn't Assad. There was a time when Syria was uh, the Middle East's breadbasket, and all that changed. Now, 80% of the people living in Syria are starving. They're malnourished. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to get rid of him. And if it was only because Putin and Russia came in that Syria didn't fall to ISIS. So when you ask, well, they have one of the best sources of light crude oil in the world, similar to Gaddafi in Libya. Yeah, until the United States stole it. There was never an official declaration of war, and yet we're, to this day, 24-7, we're occupying all the major oil fields in Syria. We are stealing. You just heard the President of the United States, Donald Trump, say, we stole the oil, we took the oil. That's stealing. That's a sovereign nation's asset that they use to buy food and, and medicines for their people. So now imagine how many hundreds of thousands of Syrians have been sickened or died because of that. And that he admits it. And that's what the deep state doesn't like. That's not supposed to be said publicly. And therefore he becomes a useful idiot without any morals at all. So let's now take you to someone that knows more about this, and uh, let's, well, no, I'm going to hold that till tomorrow. 
of the gray zone because Aramate and Max Blumenthal have been to Syria and they tell you the truth about what happens when a country's oil is stolen. Where's the world court? Where's, where's the investigative journalism? Non-existent. That's how much control they have over them. So I'll play one more clip here. We'll get a little bit into this. I'm going to say goodbye to BAI. I don't want to break the clip. And it's uh, nine minutes, almost 10 minutes long. That'll take us up to the end of the show. You can continue listening at 55 minutes on PRN.live. But this is, uh, this is a clip you're not going to hear or see anywhere else. This is the gray zone. Yeah, the U.S. is sanctioning Syria to death. It's driven something like over 80% of the population into extreme poverty, uh, food scarcity. The economy's wrecked. The situation for the leadership of Syria, well, they're going to find f- food. It, you know, that's not who this is targeting. U.S. Caesar sanctions aim to starve the population into submission while US, the U.S. military, which is coming under attack around Al-Tanaf and other areas in northeastern Syria, is stealing Syria's oil, shipping it out through Iraq, smuggling it out and selling it on the international market in order to starve Syria while occupying wheat fields to prevent Syria from being able to address the food crisis. They're doing it openly and explicitly. And here comes Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who justifiably cried for the genocide in Gaza, who is Palestinian. Over 600,000 Syrians have been killed, she said, which is a, a totally fake and manipulated number that I'll talk about. Yes, many Syrians have been killed, but she's manipulating the data in an idiotic way in a propagandistic way. I introduced the Justice for Syrians resolution to push for the UN to finally hold war criminal Assad accountable for his crimes against humanity at an ad hoc international court of law, which won't be an international court of law. It will be ad hoc, which means that it will be placed in a place like, put in a place like Germany uh, and overseen by Western intelligence because an international court of law would never go along with this. We demand justice for the Syrian people, and she's speaking on behalf of Syria. Madam. 600, 600,000 killed. It has been over a decade since the start of the Syrian civil war, and victims of numerous horrific crimes committed during the conflict are still waiting for justice. In recent months, regional powers and dictators have sought to sweep the, the war criminal, the Syrian dictator Bashar al-Assad, Hedi, al-Assad Hedi, hideous, I mean, horrific crimes under the rug, and welcome him back into the international arena. Shame. Oh no, Syria will become part of the Arab League? That would be horrible. Let's continue sanctioning them. Assad's regime committed some of the worst atrocities of the 21st century, including using chemical weapons, literally on his own people, his own people, and widespread use of torture, horrific torture on his own people. I introduced the Justice for Syrians resolution and urge my colleagues to bring it to the floor for a vote. The bill directs the U.S. through the United Nations to finally hold the war criminal Assad accountable for crimes against humanity for an ad hoc international court of law. This is critical. 
Please join me in demanding justice for our Syrian people and our families that are directly impacted that live here in the United States and push and hold war criminals like Assad accountable for their crimes against humanity. So, I mean, uh, I want to hear your reaction, but my initial takeaway is that speech was just handed to her. She read it without emotion. She's doing it to, uh, to restore some of her cre credibility inside the beltway. She, I mean, my, you know, when I, when I was in fourth grade, I could read a speech better than that. She'd never seen it before. It looked like, uh, and any, emo the emotion she tried to feign when referencing chemical attacks was not even there. So, um, it's just amazing. The, the Syria dirty war is to me the most censored U S war I've ever seen. You just cannot acknowledge the basic facts that, uh, the U this is the most expensive covert war in the CIA's history. Uh, $1 out of every $15 in the CIA's budget went to funneling weapons to sectarian death squads in Syria. And that led to a massive war where, yes, Syria and its allies responded. And as we've seen by visiting there, it left you know, parts of the country in ruins. But the part that gets omitted in, by Rashida Tlaib and, and people who pair this line is, the, is her own government's role. So she talks about justice for Syrians. What, what about justice for Syrians who are victimized by death squads funded by our government and that are still victimized by the Israeli government when it bombs Syria regularly in joint strikes with the U.S.? Which is, for a Palestinian, I know that the issue of Syria really divided people on the left and inside the Palestinian community. There are plenty of grievances people have with the government there, and there's no doubt people have suffered under it. But how can you go and join forces with Israel uh, to terrorize the country, which is what Rashida Tlaib is doing. The same people are committing, she's siding with the people who are genociding her people. Um, and she, in the process, she repeats the typical Iraq WMD level lies uh, that Syria used chemical weapons, which are just, it's a classic, it's a classic case of atrocity propaganda to justify US backed atrocities. Same as what happened in Iraq. All the evidence that we have of these allegations of chemical weapons by Syria shows that these were either carried out in attacks by insurgents or in the case of Duma in 2018, that that was uh, staged, that there actually wasn't a chemical attack there. And there's so much evidence to support this. It's completely whitewashed and ignored by the US media, but it's all there. We've documented it. Nobody refutes us because they can't. It's all based there in leaks, especially from the OPCW, the top chemical watchdog, which investigated all of this. So it, it's amazing to me that somebody who is Palestinian and um, she seems genuinely committed to her people's cause, can side with the very same neocons uh, who are trying to exterminate her people. It, it just doesn't make any sense. And by the way, isn't there an Israeli – Max, I believe I read this in something you wrote a while ago. Isn't Israel deeply actually implicated in, the, in this whole chemical weapons scam to begin with? Wasn't this kind of their idea to uh, basically accuse Assad of chemical attacks and that could be a way to justify intervention? Do I, have I, wrote, I wrote about it back in like 2011 or 2012. The yeah. red line, their idea was is, Israeli intelligence was lobbying for a red line for a long time before yeah. it even entered the kind of U.S. zeitgeist. And they were putting forward, you know, the, if you remember early on in October, these leaked phone conversations that would supposedly feature two Hamas operatives saying, uh, yeah. Yanni, there are uh, rockets under the hospital. Uh, 
you know, and they're speaking in a Le- Lebanese accent. It's totally fake. They had they 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 dropped some recording with uh, like Mahar Assad, Bashar's brother, uh, supposedly instructing a tank division under his command to fire the chemical weapons. That was Israeli intelligence, and it was just as bogus. So yes, uh, and then you know you have the Caesar deception. The Caesar sanctions are based on a gigantic deception. A guy in a blue North Face parka where his face was covered was brought to washington they said he was a military photographer for the syrian quote-unquote regime and that he had taken all brought smuggled all these photos out showing all of these dead you know people brutally tortured by assad's thugs um in reality in reality he was smuggled out through a cia and qatari intelligence operation qatar paid for all of the photographs to be uh, supposedly vetted and transferred. And uh, the photos didn't actually show what they claimed. Half of the photos, according to even Human Rights Watch, showed people who had been killed often in car accidents or by the Western and Gulf-funded death squads. Uh, They also showed many people killed in combat. And these photos were all put up around Congress and the guy was brought in this blue jumpsuit where you couldn't see his face to testify. His translator was Muaz Mustafa, who is a the uh, U.S. intelligence asset, the Syrian Western intelligence asset, who brought John McCain on his notorious illegal trip to Syria. And uh, then they passed this bill sanctioning Syria, which they've just extended to something like 2035, thanks to Rashida Tlaib, which will undoubtedly kill and starve hundreds of thousands of Syrians and prevent rebuilding, including in areas where people don't even support the government, but are under the Syrian government, the internationally recognized Syrian government's control. So Rashida Tlaib, while she's failed to actually save any Palestinians despite her best efforts, and we can give her credit for those efforts, has actually successfully managed to sign away the lives of untold numbers of Syrians and Palestinians who are living in Syria, uh, which has treated Palestinian refugees better than, for example, the government, the official government of Lebanon. So this it's just disgusting hypocrisy. This is Beltway. And that's it. Again, this form will always provide the truth. Hopefully people will share it with others and become concerned, conscious, aware and commit yourself to finding your voice to speak truth to this type of of violence against humanity. Thank you all for listening, and have a nice day.